takes this last week, and wow, what a, what a great privilege it was for me to be there. Um, Phoenix, for those of you who are visiting and for those of you who don't know, Phoenix was our first church that we sent out from Boston. We've, we had established a church on the North Shore and Harbor um, in Beverly called the Harbor at the time. It's now Antioch Beverly. Um, we um, uh, planted this church, and a few months after we launched this church here in Waltham, we sent out a full team to to Tempe, Arizona. It was first first called Antioch Tempe to reach the ASU campus and to start a church there. I come back to report to you that that church is thriving. They have 750 people in their services. They have three. They have an auditorium that seats a little more than this. Um, a, a church building that actually was given to them. A, an older church was dying and kind of in the last days of its existence, and they met Travis. They bonded in heart, and this congregation of 50 or 60, um, mostly older people, gave the building and the, the land and the facility to Antioch Tempe. Um, as a result, they became Antioch Phoenix because they have a much broader footprint of reaching the community around them. And um, they are busting at the seams. So they invited me in, and Travis said, I'm going to work you a little hard. Is that okay? I didn't realize what he meant. I, I preached or taught six different times last week, three of them, and then in training school during the week, and their staff. What a privilege and a joy to be there. They're in the middle. They, they received this church. Obviously, it, it's, they have three services, and it's too small. They keep on growing. And so they have... They have enough land and the footprint to build a new sanctuary, so they're in the middle of a $5.5 million capital campaign to build a new facility, and it's just really exciting. The Lord has already given generously to them, and and they're they're in the middle of seeing some powerful things happen. Um, one testimony from their, their Sunday, I just want you to know that we as a church gave to them. We as Antioch Boston of Greater Boston came together and sent them $30,000 to be a part of their campaign. They were very thankful for that. And um, one of the testimonies uh, from their, their campaign was that people have just been filled with joy. And the, the, the comments are, we are so thankful that all of this is centered around the life and the love of Jesus. So people are just thrilled with what's going on. They're about to send a full team uh, of three or four families to Cambodia to be missionaries in Cambodia. They've got another team that's waiting to be sent out um, to another part of the world, and they're just thriving. 200 college students, um, actually more than 200 students, 200 from one campus, another 100 and so from another campus are involved in their church. It's really exciting and vibrant. After I left those three services and got prepared for the, the Sunday evening service, I drove back to the Phillips home, and as I was sitting at the light, I was um, um, met with a homeless man that was sitting on the corner of the street um, and asking for money um, and asking for um, a shower, etc. And over the course of that week, uh, at that same corner, four or five different men um, there asking for m- money. And I was, I was struck on that Sunday uh, with the dichotomy, uh, the, 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 the difference between a $5.5 million campaign to build a building for a church and the present physical needs of those who are living on the street that, that as far as I, I know or understand, probably did not have a home. And as we all are faced with that 
tension in our life, right? The tension of these bigger, high-dollar things that, that are a part of our daily living, whether it's the purchase of a home or rent or education or school or in the church context, tithes and offerings and buildings, and we're in the middle of about to break ground on renovating our bathrooms, Praise the Lord. Um, All the women in the room say, Amen. (laughs) And then the needs of a a, a homeless person on the street. And going, Lord, what do we do? What do we do with our resources? And then reminded as we've studied over the last couple of weeks and, and have sought the word of God, reminded that God has enough resources for all of it. Amen? I want to remind us, even in our own lives, that God has enough resources for a $5.5 million building that will house more people that are hearing about the word of God, growing in their love for Jesus, being sent out to the nations or sent out into the world. That's good. It's good that there's a gathering place. And God is also concerned for the person on the side of the road that maybe has no, at at that moment and maybe in their lives, has very few advocates for their life and the care that they have or the needs that they have to be cared for. And my reminder when I get in despair and I think about around the world, just the poverty in the world that we talked about the first week, and I'm reminded of even in the needs in this room, my encouragement that I find in God is God's encouragement to me. Sean, I have enough for everybody if we will just learn how to distribute it wisely. Distribution problem. That we have some that are holding on to that which does not belong to them, but belongs to the Lord. We have those who are spending and, and wasting and using resources in ways that shouldn't be used that you shouldn't be used for, and then we have incredibly credible needs that are not being attended to. And yet I don't believe that God is saying, I don't have enough for everybody. I believe God is saying, I have plenty. Come to me, yield your life to me, and in your resources, church, and I believe it starts with the church, in your resources, church, we can begin to make a difference. We can begin to end the distribution problem. And begin to see God be glorified in the way that we steward and handle his resources. Okay, I did this at the end of my service. When I preach, I'm not sure if Brendan did this, but everybody got your wallet or your purse or something that represents your material stuff. And and for those of you who are visiting, I'm not going to take it from you. I just want you to know you're going to be the only one that holds on to this. This is just for you. However you want to do it, but I want you to just hold that again, and I want you to put it before you. You can hold it up. You can do whatever you want to do, but I want you to take that physical reminder of your stuff, and I want you to put it before the Lord. If I I said in in week one, uh, I used the phrase, uh, what would it be like for for Jesus to be the Lord of my wallet? Okay, so we're going to we're going to say this again, Jesus be the Lord of my wallet. You say it however you want to say it. You're, be the Lord of my iPad or my purse or whatever. If somebody's holding a shoe, your shoe, whatever it is. Be the Lord of my resources, Lord. Okay, so make that confession. We're going to do one more thing before you let go of that. I want, you, want that to be in your mind. And kids, you can do the same thing for the, 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 the stuff that God's given you. 
Can God be the, the Lord of your stuff? And then the next thing I want you to ask is, with, your, with God being the Lord, I want you to ask this, this two-word question. Now what? Now what? That's the question this morning. Now what, God? Now that you are the Lord of my wallet, now what? Let's remind ourselves from our first passage of Scripture two weeks ago, as they collected money for the temple, and that story, they were collecting resources to build a temple for the Lord. The glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. So that when we talk about saying, now what? We say, God, it's yours anyway. All this stuff belongs to you. Our, our resources, the world we live in, everything that you've asked us to steward is ultimately your property. It's reminiscent of a parable that Jesus told of the wise or the shrewd steward or manager, uh, a manager of a wealthy person's re, uh, estate. It, the, the word had gotten back to the master that this steward was not handling the money well. And so word got back to the steward, he was about to be fired. You don't handle the master's wealth well, you're going to get fired. And when he heard that he was going to get fired, he concocted a plan. He decided to uh, go to every person who owed debts to his master and, and swing a deal because he was the one that was, was the controller of the ledger sheet. And so he said, you owe 100, pay 80, you can keep 20 and it'll be done. And so he worked out this shrewd plan and surprisingly enough, after he did it, this is the parable that Jesus tells, the master was actually proud of him for being wise with the resources that he had. I never have understood that story. That for a different day, the morality of stealing from the master to, to, get, to provide for himself. But the moral of this parable that Jesus talked about in Luke 16 is this. Look with, look with me in verse 10. He says this, the point of his story was, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. If you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Are we responsible with what God has given us? Are we taking care of what he has entrusted us to care for? When Laura and I were newly married, like the very first house we lived, on, lived in was the house of some missionaries who were overseas. And we were young and we hadn't had a lot of stuff in our life and we took care of that house, kind of how we took care of everything else. Somewhat well, but somewhat haphazardly, like the time that we accidentally ran their Suburban into their garage wall and put a sizable hole in the wall. You know, and when we did it, we're like, ah, we shouldn't have done that, but we kind of forgot about it. And we kind of rearranged some things in their house. There are a few other things that we broke that we didn't take care of. I mean, we took care of some other things. I mean, it was not like we didn't take care of everything. We just didn't take care of everything. 
and they came back. <laughs> they actually came back in the middle of our time living there, and, you know, we're just kind of clueless, you know, like thinking maybe that'll, we'll take care of that over time or whatever, and they came back, and when they came back and looked at it with their eyes, we realized that their eyes looking at things were not the same as my eyes looking at things. They weren't happy. As a matter of fact, they were angry. And I can tell you, and Lark can attest to this, this was my first bout of depression in my life. I was so discouraged that I had not handled their property well. And I definitely was discouraged with the times of the Lord. That I got. They were not unmerciful. They were full of mercy. But what happened after they left? That hole got fixed. Those things got rearranged. Things got tidy. And I was darned and determined that when they came back at the end of our time staying there, that they were going to be able to give us word of somebody else's support. I was learning what it looked like in a practical way to be a steward of somebody else's resources. They had given us the trust of being able to stay in their home, and we had taken advantage of their home. Well, this is the same before us and the Lord. He has given us resources. He has given us money, possessions, and, and, and we t- we're talking about money and possessions in this, this, this series, but it's not just money and possessions. It's people that we live around, the friends or the people that he's entrusted us with, our children. He has given us resources to steward. Are we taking our stewardship seriously? Stewardship means, in the dictionary, it says, person, a person employed, a steward is a person employed to manage another's property. And in that parable, it's not only being faithful in the little, but then Jesus goes on and says, we can't have two masters. We can't have a master of money and God. Either one, one or the other has to be our master. And I believe that last week, Brendan did quite a bit of talking about how are we mastered by our money? It belongs to God. It belongs to God, and we need to steward it well. Remember in Genesis, at the very beginning, God said in Genesis 1, Let us make mankind in our image and our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his image. In his image, God created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful Increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. It's inherent in the Genesis story that God said, I'm going to create something wonderful for you and I'm going to what I give you. And so when we talk about stewarding, it's not just about money, but it's everything in life. It's care for animals, it's care for the earth and its resources You know, as a society that's moved away from an agricultural society, sometimes we don't get it. But those who live, who grew up on a farm or lived around, lived in places where you you had to live off the land, you understand or realize how important it is to take care of everything that God has entrusted to us. On a farm, the food, the scraps that the scraps that, that come off our table, the things that are left over, go to the animals to feed the animals that come on our table right? It all goes around that we use every resource that we have to care for it. If you don't take care of the soil this year for your crop, then your crops are not going to grow next year. So you have to care for your fields. You have to care for your water supplies. If the river is dammed up too far, if, if something is not taken care of up, upstream, it affects what happens downstream. 
If we don't have rain, we don't have crops. If we don't prepare for the drought, then we won't be fed in the future. Everything is by nature and design for a farmer, for one who lives on the earth, is we've got to care for what we have so that we can provide and care for others. And as a non-agricultural society that just, that just trades in currency, sometimes we lose the effect of how important it is to care for everything. I had a friend who just recently shared with me that when his dad comes to visit, he uh, takes a shower and he gets wet and then he turns off the shower and he soaps up and then he turns the shower back on and washes off and he does it really quickly. And my friend was laughing like, can you believe my dad does that? And I thought, hmm, your dad is a good steward. It actually was convicting. We do just a little thing like that. What if every area of our life we were thinking about, God, am I stewarding the resources that you've given me well? It's going to be a lot shorter showers this week, I'm praying. (laughs) Richard Foster um, shares with us, uh, the the author of... um, uh, Celebration of Disciplines, talks about simplicity in that book. And he talks about what it looks like to live simply. And he talks about the, 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 the notion that if we are going to, to steward our resources well, our heart has to be right first. And again, we've talked about this, but I want to share this quote just to get us back into this, this, this thought. He says, three key attitudes of heart help to summarize this internal focus. If what we have we can receive as a gift from God. And if what we have we know is to be cared for by by God, and I would say for God as well, and if what we have can be available to others when it is clearly right and good, then we are living in the inward reality of simplicity. But if if what we have we feel um, that we alone have gotten, meaning we're the one that made it happen, and if what we have we believe is up to us to hold on to, And if what we have, we cannot make available to others when it is clearly right and good to make it available, then we are living in duplicity. When our internal focus is clear, the Spirit of God will most certainly guide our outward decisions. So God's getting a hold of our heart. It's come from you. It's come from you. It's my responsibility to care for it unto you. And God, whatever I have, if there's something right and true that needs to be done, that I have the ability to do it, then Lord, let it what's calling us to do. So how do we, if God's got our heart, if our attitude is right, God, that this wallet is under your lordship, if I'm saying, now what? God, what do you want to do? What are the things that God is wanting us to do? Before we get to giving, I want to talk about work, just for a moment. Because I believe that one of the first ways in which God calls us to stewardship is to use our physical bodies and our talents to work. To provide for ourselves so that we can provide for others. And so hard work is a part of Scripture. Acts 20, 34 through 35. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. And everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, We must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said. It's more blessed to give than to receive. 
So Paul is saying here, I want you to know that the reason that I work is because God said I can work. I've got the ability to work, to provide for myself, to provide for others so that I have the opportunity to provide for more than just me and my family. I have the opportunity to give. I'm working so that I can give. That is a radical, radical concept in our society. Because even if I can work and I'm only going to work until I don't have to work, I'm looking for early retirement, early, early retirement, hoping to hit the jackpot early, 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 early retirement. If I have to, I'll work until retirement. Spend my time on the Lord. Give me back everything that I've given him so that I can really spend my time on the life that is beyond work, which means I can spend my life on myself. Versus I'm working so that I have resources and hopefully abundant resources and praise the Lord for all of you people out there that have really high paying jobs. But praise the Lord for all of us who just have the opportunity to work because God gives us the integrity to care, the ownership to care for ourselves and hopefully gives us a mindset to 23, all hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. If we can work, we do. If we can't, can't make money by working, we can at least serve. My, my, um, um, I love people who, you know, who head into retirement and they're thinking, now what can I do to help other people? My father-in-law retired from making good money as, in the insurance business. And after he stopped working, he ended up serving in four or five different ministries. Did I say the wrong thing? Stepfather, Stepfather thank you. I'm looking at my wife going, that's wrong. Um, <laughs> Stepfather is what I meant to say. And after he stopped working for money, he started working with his energy and time for others. He didn't just stop to live on his resources, but he continually allowed his resources to be given to others. And some of us don't even have the ability to work, maybe because of a disability or a sickness. If we can't serve because, and, and or work because of disability and sickness, we can still receive with thankfulness. And in our receiving, we can always give in spirit, and we can always at least give in prayer. We can always have a giving position, whether we have work, whether we have stuff, whether we have talents and gifts and abilities, or whether we have all that we have is the ability to just pray. We can, we can always have a mentality that, God, what I have, I'm stewarding to give away. My best example of that is a dear friend of ours who died of MS, but in her debilitating place of MS, all she could do was lie in bed in pain, preparing to die. But in those days where she couldn't even get out of bed, when you visited her, guess who was doing the giving? When I would visit her, as she would turn and she would grimace, or as she could barely move, she would automatically, the first thing, I could not ask her quick enough. When I'd walk in the room, she'd go, how are you doing, Sean? How can I pray for you? I'm like, okay, stop that. I'm here to serve you. I'm here to bless you. But I couldn't get past her spirit of stewardship of her very resource. The only resource that she had left that she could give was her spirit of joy and intercession and prayer for me. That matters. So we relatives, and especially their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Okay. I wish that you wouldn't mince words. That's intense. 
context here is of, of, of a son. I mean, Paul is speaking, but we even know in Timothy, he's, he's, got a, he's with a, a widowed mother. I'm not, I'm not thinking that Paul is rebuking Timothy. He might have been. But God, are we taking care of our very own family? I think about the sweet families in this church. Many, many of our, 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 our families that live here that are from other countries are taking are living in meager, in meager ways here so that they can gather some of the fruits that they have here to send back to their family who are even in harder places. What, a, what an honor. just want to honor every one of you in the room that is taking this scripture seriously to, to live in a place of simplicity so that your family can survive in another place. can't imagine the, the sacrifices that you are making and that your family is making just so that they can live. How do we not take care of our families? Sometimes we take our resources that we've worked for and then we spend them on vices and things that are not necessary. And as a result, our families go without. Or sometimes we give all of our money away thinking it's spiritual and our own family's not taken care of. And then our kids grow up and say, well, God, our parents thought, loved people outside of our family more than they loved us. We've got to be careful that even in our spirituality that we don't miss the first requirement as one in a household to care for those that God has first given you charge to take care of, your own flesh and blood. A New Testament pattern of work in Ephesians 4, he who has been stealing must steal no longer but must work doing something useful with work so that you have the opportunity to share. So who are the others? So we provide for ourselves and our family and others. Who are those others? Well, I believe the first place to look in the other category is to give back to God and his church. We talk about the tithes and the offerings. Malachi 3, 8 through 12. Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me, but you ask, how are, you robbing, how are we robbing you in tithes and offerings? You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines and your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Principle. And, and there's lots of conversation about tithing in regards to whether or not it's a New, New Testament principle or not. I'm not here to debate that or not. What I'm here to say is, is that God is saying, take care of your earthly family and also take care of your spiritual family. And I can say that in a practical sense that a church, both in the Old Testament when they were in the temple and they were administering the, the, the affairs of, the, of, of God's kingdom in the temple and in the church, we rely on the resources that you give in order to do the things that God's called us to do in ministry and to facilitate the ministry of God in this community. So when we go into a a new year, we assess the budget of the church based on what the tithes are going to be, and then we say, okay, this is what we can do. 
and we do it based on last year's numbers, and then we do it on projections of what we think this year might be, and we then establish a budget or a ministry model based on those numbers. We do is going to come by your house and say, you should give this. Nobody's going to keep, uh, hold you accountable for, for what you haven't or have not given. That's unto you and the Lord. And only God knows what you should be doing with your resources. We don't. But we can say, in this house, we, prov- we, we depend on each other for the things of this church to happen. For the building, the lights, the etc., the salaries, they all come from you. And God is honored when you give to him, and as a result, we can receive from you. I want you to know, I'm looking at Brennan and John, both staff members here on my left and right, I can say, as your staff, we are thankful for your generosity. We never have doubt of your kindness and your goodness. We are overwhelmed not only by the way that you give uh, through tithes and offerings, but you have, uh, many of you have individually given to us in ways that are beyond what we should expect or can imagine, and so we are so thankful. So nothing that I just said is directed at you as a people. It's just biblically speaking. I want to say God is expecting us as a church to give unto him and give to our spiritual family so that the things of the spiritual family can be taken care of. I want you to know I tithe. I give. So straight out of my check when I receive it, I give, give, it, give 10% right back because I want God to know that I'm thankful for how he takes care of me and I want to give, give, invest into what he's doing in the kingdom. So we're all in this together. But God says that if we will trust him, he will bless us. If we will trust him with our resources, he is always going to take care of our needs. First Timothy 5, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well, and so we can debate on how well we're doing, are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, do not muzzle the ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. We share things like our works overseas or things that we're doing around the city, and we share with the family of God. I love how Acts 2, where it says, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people, and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. But right before that, it talked about how they were sharing their needs, how they were giving their lives to one another. And as a result, the world was noticing. Richard Hayes says this, the glad and generous hearts of Acts 2.46 of the Jerusalem community are the sure signs of the presence of God's Spirit in their midst and their sharing of their goods so that there is no needy person among them is the outward and visible sign of God's effectual grace. Indeed, the power of the apostle, testimony of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus is linked directly by, by Luke in the community's economic sharing. The testimony is credible because the evidence of God's power is palpable in the community's life. Basically, show me, don't just tell me. Put your money where your mouth is. I want to give you a good report of that kind of generosity from this church that happened this week. On Friday, Brendan and I and Tanya Fortier were able to, we were invited as a church to go to an award ceremony by the Department of Children and Families of the state uh, to Marlboro, where they had an award ceremony for all of their workers and a few community partners, us as Antioch Community Church, uh, some police, uh, the police department, another agency that helped create some signs for foster care, um, billboard signs. But we were the only church and we were the only group that was honored by the DCF as a community partner uh, to help uh, with the care of foster children. 
And when the director of the Arlington office got up to share, it was so humbling. We stood before a couple hundred of the DCF workers, and Antioch Community Church was honored for, and she just kind of went into detail of how on their desks and how breakfast was served, and then lunch, and how the whole, uh, multiple times there's been food um, given to their workers and care for their workers, how our foster families care for their children and the community that surrounds, surrounds them, and talk, kind of talked about our wrap, wraparound care ministry within our church. She just went on and on, um, thanking us for the work that we did, and then the commissioner of the whole DCF um, honored us and thanked us and said, you know, when churches give the way this church gives, the, the, the statistics show that the families that are involved in foster care stick and stay. And we are thankful for Antioch Community Church. Amen? So, but that is, when we're talking about resources and we're talking about stewardship, we're steward, stewarding the resources of God by getting involved in this, this endeavor. This is what we're talking about. People have stewarded their time. They've stewarded their lives, their families, their homes. You've given financially uh, to the DCF, but you're giving financially for the care of these kids. This is multiplying. And as a result, as Richard Hayes said, the world is taking notice, as Acts 2 says, as Acts 4 describes. As when we give and care for one another and care for the needy, God is glorified. I'm looking at the time, and I have way more notes than I have time for such a great topic. Religion, just, I gotta, I go, gotta go here just for a second, and I know that um, Pierce shared on this this summer, so go get his message. It'll be a lot better than this quick note. But religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless, faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. We have enough resources to care for our families and to care for this family world. And we're doing it a little bit at a time. And I'm just asking God that as we go forward that we will be even more generous. That we will, that we will in- encounter and engage the world in a strategic and helpful way. Now let me say this. And I don't know if Brendan shared on this, so I'll, I'll reiterate something he might have shared, or, but he might not have. The last, op, that last step of sharing with the poor is, God, how do we do it in a way that's effective? We don't want to just throw our money away. In that, that illustration I gave earlier about the people on the side of the road that were begging for money, every time I'm around a beggar, I go, God, is this dollar or two or five or ten that I give, is it actually going to meet the deepest, is it going to be strategically helpful for this, this person? When I, can ta- when I can stop and take them to dinner and get to know them, I feel like it's more strategic. But it's still not fully the strategic way. When I can figure out who's helping the people on the streets and the homeless and if there's a, there's a system to care for them, it's even more strategic like uh, Starlight Ministries or different ministries that are happening among the poor and understanding the heart behind not just giving them food but teaching them how to fish, right? Not just giving them a fish, but teaching them how to fish and creating systems that help them get out of poverty. We're always looking for ways in which we can give where our money actually works. And oftentimes, we don't have the opportunity to strategically research, but we want to trust the people who do, and we want to give in such a way that it doesn't create more poverty or dependency, but it creates freedom and help for the communities that we're helping. That's the whole concept behind stuff like fair trade coffee, 
The world has said, can we cre- create a system where producer end, where we are investing money buying coffee, it's going towards the resources at the producer end to help not people get rich off of coffee, but to help communities that are growing the beans and harvesting the beans to be able to have an industry that supports their local economy. And so that whole thing of are you buying fair trade coffee or not is not just a hipster great idea. Although it's a hipster great idea. It's, it's centered in the reality that there is something that I want to do that's beyond just giving somebody a dollar on the side of the street. Although at times that's the best thing we can do. It's centered on, God, I want a broken community to be restored to health and vitality. If you're interested in that concept, there's a book called When Helping Hurts that will give you a beginning um, introduction to how we can understand how to use our giving and our money in a constructive and healthy way instead of a destructive way, even though we mean to be offended by reading that book in a good way. Okay, come on up, team. Lord Jesus, help us. Father, we want to be good stewards. We just touched on a number of things. We want to be good stewards of our lives. We want to be good stewards of the resources that we have, and we truly believe that if you are the God that has cattle on a thousand hills, Lord, if you have resources beyond our understanding, God, that every need, both great and small, can be attended to by your generosity and benevolence and through your church. I truly believe that. Would you show us as a church how to get involved with your resources? And Lord, would you start with each of our wallets as they represent our lives and the resources you've given us? Lord, we kind of just, we, we hit just different topics quickly, but Lord, I believe that there's a topic that you want each one of us to center on this morning. So would you do that? Whether it's being a good worker, caring for my family, caring for my spiritual family, caring for the community around me, caring for the poor and the needy. All of these things, every one of them are important to you. What's it look like for us to steward those resources well? So as you sit there in your seat right now, let's just go back to that that wallet and say, okay, what now, God? I'm just going to give you a moment for the Holy Spirit to speak. Spirit of God, speak. What now? Would you look at my heart, Lord. What now? I'll end with this one story. Just it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a current story of a life group in another church in Antioch. There was, they were meeting in a life group, and uh, as they were sharing their needs, somebody shared a story of, an, uh, of a debt coming due that they weren't, uh, weren't anticipating it, that it was going to be due, coming due immediately. It was an $8,000 debt, a need, and it, it just brought this one couple to a place of brokenness and and. Just, God, we don't know how we're going to handle this. And immediately within that group, one of the, le- the leaders said, well, let's, let's just pray. And let's just believe that God's going to take care of you. And as they prayed, they said, you know what, let's just take up an offering in our, in our life group, a 
group of 10 or 12 people. Well, the story goes is that a couple of days later after they prayed and they started giving, they had to tell the life group to stop giving because the $8,000 was raised just like that. The need was broken. I mean, the need was fulfilled and love in life was shared in that life group. Just a quick story. I just like fresh stories. that just happened this week in one of our churches. Lord, what would it look like for our needs to be met? So that's what I want to do right now. If you have a need, you're not going to speak it publicly, but if you have a need that you are believing for God to meet that's present right now, would you come and stand in front of me? You have a material to meet. And it's in the, it's in the, it's in the financial or the material realm. You have a present need. Sometimes the greatest step of faith is to receive. Stand right here, Monique. Let everybody see you. You don't have to. You can stay like that. Anybody else? lot of courage to admit your need. I just want you to know. So thank you for coming up. Thank you. We, we all have need at different points in our life. So we are standing with you in understanding. But right now, this is your time to, to share your need. So, so as we stand up, everybody, if you see somebody up here and God is stirring you to come and lay a hand on them and pray with them and to ask specifically what their need is, let's begin to take steps to believe for their need to be met in Jesus. So stand up with me and move. Worship team, lead us out.